And welcome to Tuesday on the Pure Opelka Podcast. It's Mike here. A busy day ahead. I hope you enjoyed yesterday's Dark to Light podcast with my friend and new podcast associate, Tracy Beans. You can find it on Apple Podcasts and usually all the places you go to get your normal podcast. Yesterday, we had a lot of fun with the Will Smith story, and we uh, we covered all of the big news from the Oscars. But today, we've got serious stuff to get to. Big stuff to talk about, big, big issues that are floating out there, including Joe Biden's mental state and uh, how the administration is trying to prop him up. Oh, it's frustrating. Yesterday's crazy press conference where Joe had his cheat sheet and he still managed to screw up the press conference. And I'm sure he got a good talking to before they gave him his pudding or his afternoon cookie. I'm not sure which was yesterday. What happens on Monday? Maybe he gets both. Or maybe he was going to get both if he delivered the uh, the cheat sheet complete without any errors. He did not. So many things, as I said, to talk about. But you know how we like to start every one of the podcasts with a look back on this day. Back in the day on the 29th of March in 1886, Dr. Pemberton started selling Coca-Cola. So happy birthday, Coke. In 1951, The King and I opened on Broadway starring Yule Brenner, that, that iconic bald head of Yule Brenner. And who was the woman who starred across from him? It has to be one of the worst first names ever in Broadway history. Gertrude Lawrence. I don't know anyone named Gertrude right now. But I guess maybe in the 50s, Gertie was a name. But the King and I opened on this day back in the day. Ten years later, the 23rd Amendment was ratified, and that gave the citizens in the District of Columbia in D.C. the right to vote for president. I guess that's a good thing. In uh, 1973, the last U.S. troops left South Vietnam as we dealt with a failure in that war. But now we're all friendly with Vietnam. Isn't that weird? So very weird to me. And so many lives lost. If you've ever gone to D.C. and visited the, um, the wall, the memorial to the tens of thousands of Americans who we lost in Vietnam, it is one of the more moving experiences of the monument tour. And it always gets me when I see a person touching the name of someone they knew. And you know it's hitting them real hard. Very hard. On this date, 1999, the Dow Jones Industrial Index closed above 10,000 for the first time. As I am recording the podcast right now, the Dow Jones is over 35,000. But it goes up and down in that 35, 34, maybe. We'll see. It's an indicator of the uh, top 100 stocks, I believe. Yeah. On this date in 2020, just two years ago, there were almost 200 million Americans in a coronavirus lockdown. You remember that? We were actually told to stay home, not to go to the gym, not to go interact with people. It was freaky. It was freaky what we actually agreed to do, and the science was never settled on it. Still not settled. We've got people getting sick with COVID right now with this new variant, but they're not getting very sick. They're not being hospitalized. That's a great thing. So why are we still wearing 
masks on airplanes and public transit. It's stupid. It makes me very angry. Uh, Also making me angry, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren appeared this morning on um, CNBC. She is out there pushing the Biden's new tax initiative. Joe Biden wants to tax the hell out of uh, who he calls the rich people. Those those evil billionaires. How dare they? There are 730 of them or so. 730 billionaires, give or take, because their wealth goes up and down, too. And based on the numbers of billionaires per million people in the country, we're currently like the highest concentration when you look at it. But it's still only $730 billion. So I don't know how America is going to generate enough wealth to pay this $5.8 trillion budget Joe Biden just submitted and pay for the current operations of the government by going after 730 people's wealth. And he's talking about hiring another 87,000 IRS agents. Gee, do we need 87,000 IRS agents to squeeze money out of 730 billionaires? Something's not right there. We'll keep an eye on that hiring pitch. But the, um, the interesting story here, the important story here, is what Elizabeth Warren was hinting about today. And in the interview on CNBC, she actually started by going after Elon Musk. She's had a thing for Elon Musk. I think she likes him. She's got a crush on him. Now, she wants Elon Musk to uh, surrender a lot of his money. She went after him today. Uh, Here's the first part of it. She's claiming that he doesn't pay any taxes, even though this year, this this past year, he made some huge profits on stock and he's paying a lot of taxes. He also gave a lot of his stock to charity. So that helped things. There's a billionaire who's giving back, but that's not going to make Elizabeth Warren happy. Nobody got rich on their own. They got rich because of the investments, at least in part because of the investments all of us made. So that sounds like Barack Obama when he said, you didn't build that. If you have a successful business, this is the Democrats' playbook to claim that you're dependent on the government. Well, the only reason people like Elon Musk build something or take advantage of a government opportunity is because people like Elizabeth Warren, who write the tax code, put out these incentives for companies to start and to hire people. Because when you give a person a job in a local community, let's say you employ 100, that could be 100 families, which means kids will go to school. They will pay taxes in the local community. They will shop in the local stores, which will hire more people to feed or handle the business of those people shopping in their stores. That's how capitalism works, but they don't understand this. They all want to say the government creates everything. It does not. I'll let her continue. And what we're asking for is to say, when you make it big, yes, let's have a big party. Let's throw the confetti. But let's also ask that you pay a fair share in taxes. The 99% 
pay about 7.2% of their total wealth in taxes. There's a real key point here. Listen to what she's saying. She's not saying they pay what they earn. They don't pay taxes on what they earn. She's saying they pay on their total wealth. Again. In taxes, the 99% pay about 7.2% of their total wealth in taxes every year. That top one-tenth of 1% pays less than half as much. That's not right. So if you have assets, things that you may have bought that are appreciating in value, like real estate over the last year, like maybe some stocks if you were smart, maybe cryptocurrencies if they haven't gone down and they they are wild in their fluctuations. The government wants to come in at the end of the year, and I'm guessing they're going to want to do this quarterly too eventually. They want to assess your wealth based on your assets, not what you've earned. Because for years there have been people who worked hard, worked hard, worked hard, and created a certain amount of wealth, and then they retire and they live on it. Well, the government doesn't like it if you live in a house that maybe you paid off and it's worth a lot of money and maybe you're going to sell it at the end of your life or give it to your kids or something. They want a slice of that now. That's wealth, especially if it's gone up. The last year, there's real estate's gone up really, really massively in certain areas, 100% in some parts. And the government doesn't like it that they haven't been able to ding you on that. Elizabeth Warren continued on the, uh, the discussion of taxing wealth a little bit later in this interview. Let's get into that. Robert Frank, thank you for that. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation. Joining us right now for more on Biden's uh, new budget and billionaire's tax. Uh, joining us is Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. She serves on several committees, including banking, finance and armed services. Senator, thank you for joining us. I'd start with this. Just how realistic do you think any of this is, uh, given that a number of tax proposals and other things that have been uh, have been put on the table before haven't haven't happened? Look, I think that we have a fundamental question that we're going to address in the 2022 elections, for example. OK, here it comes. Fairness. The Democrats are going to play the fairness card and they're going to say those evil rich people. Well, they just have more than you do, and you're working hard. Well, they took advantage of all the tax breaks that you, the elected officials, allowed them to have. You write the tax code. Congress, that's your job. But they're going to say that it's not fair. Joe Biden whispered about it yesterday, too. Joe Biden talked about tax rates yesterday as well. We'll get back to Elizabeth Warren in just a second. Here's what Joe said. Right now, billionaires pay an average rate of 8% on their total income. Now, I'm a capitalist, but uh, just, I want, I, if you make a billion bucks, great. Just pay your fair share. Pay a little bit. A firefighter and a teacher pay more than double, double the tax rate that a billionaire pays. That's not right. That's not fair. There's the creepy whisper. Joe Biden is a great president. He is. Yeah, Nancy thinks that too. She whispers too about him. So Joe screwed up at the beginning of that. He was meant to say they pay about 8% on their total wealth, but he said their income. 
What Warren's talking about is the 7 to 8% on your total net worth. She goes back to taxing wealth. And that is, we just heard Senator Toomey say once again that if the Republicans can get in power, they want to raise taxes. Oh, here she goes. I don't think Toomey said they want to raise taxes. I think they said they wanted to fix the tax code, which Congress could do. You know, a fair tax, everybody pays 10%, or everybody who makes under 50 grand pays 5%, and everybody who makes up to a half a million pays 10, and then we take it up to a top of 15%. With no deductions, this country would be flush with cash. But no, no, they're not going to jump in on that because. 99% of the people who work as elected officials are making a whole lot of money. Back to Elizabeth Warren. On all of America, on working families in America, on half of people. They want to raise taxes on people who are living on Social Security. Demonizing the elderly, the people who are on Social Security. Okay, let's go. More. People who are making minimum wage. Pe- Demonizing people who are just getting into the job market who are in the working class. What Democrats are saying is that we've got a plan to try to raise taxes on the millionaires and billionaires. Bernie Sanders isn't going to like raising taxes on the millionaires. He used to say the millionaires and billionaires are bad people. Now he says billionaires. He calls them oligarchs, just like the Russian oligarchs. These people are nuts, but they're demonizing wealth They're trying to take down capitalism by saying the rewards of hard work are going to be taxed harder. People at the top who are not even paying taxes at the same rate as everyone else. They pay taxes based on the tax rates you set up, madam. Continue. Our tax system is badly broken, and it's broken because it makes an underlying assumption that everybody just kind of earns money in the same way. And if you tax, all that matters is what's the marginal rate on the highest income earners. But now, when we've got so many billionaires who have all of this huge unrealized gain in... Unrealized gain. Unrealized gain. That means you bought a house 20 years ago and it's worth more now. That's an unrealized gain. Maybe your parents bought it 40 years ago. And they're getting ready to sell it. That unrealized gain, Elizabeth Warren wants that. And they want it every year. She pretty much says that. Stock. And they manage to live massively lavish lifestyles without ever paying anything or paying only a small amount in federal income taxes. We can't keep that up. Well, you're the ones who wrote the tax code. So they're following the law based on what you put in. And now you want to confiscate from people and you want to do this retroactively. This is where most of us have the problem because that's not fair. These people earned money, bought things. Those things suddenly became worth more. And now you want to charge them a tax based on the value today and not when they bought it. You're essentially double taxing someone for the purchase of whatever. They haven't sold it yet. They haven't sold the stocks. They haven't sold the house. Whatever. Can't keep it up in the government. We can't keep it up in our economy. And we can't keep it up in a functioning democracy. 
a functioning democracy. They all go back to we're ruining the democracy of our country. Well, we're a republic, number one, but we have democratic principles here. And these people want to drive us to a democracy-only majority rule, or as I like to call it, mob rule. So while Elizabeth Warren was there speechifying and predicting that this would be the next plan, CNBC brought in a billionaire, Michael Novogratz, who also happens to be a Democrat. And Mr. Novogratz showed, well, he, he didn't show her, he told her that her system was a bad idea. He explained to Elizabeth Warren why this was a bad idea and probably will fail. It's just a crazy idea, practically. I mean, I think of, you know, stocks that I've owned from Fortress to Galaxy, you know, have had wild volatility. I mean, there were times of, you know, you declared my income at the end of the year and I had to pay 20 percent on that. I'd be bankrupt within six months because the stock fell so much. Uh, you know, it makes no sense. People don't have the difference between liquidity and paper wealth is at times gigantic. Um, and so I think it's just practically you know, an impossible idea. Practically an impossible idea. And he's right. The difference between wealth you have in the bank and paper wealth. You know, we always talk about the world's richest person. And this person has a net worth based on the stock they own based on the price today of blank. Well, until you sell it, it's just paper. But Pelosi and the Democrats want to tax the paper value. Before it's even real, they're taxing unicorns. Elizabeth Warren gets to respond. What do you think of that? You know, first I want to say, try explaining to a public school teacher who's just trying to pay for childcare and make it to the end of the month or to somebody who's working minimum wage, that the difference between liquidity and paper wealth is just enormous. Well, she didn't answer the question. She deflected to the Democrats' emotional response. Explain that to a single mom, school teacher, working in a public school, or someone on minimum wage. This is why Florida and several other red states are demanding you have a class in fiscal awareness before you graduate from high school so you have an education and understanding of how the economy works. The Democrats don't want that. They want you to remain stupid. They want you to remain uneducated. They want you not to understand how capitalism works because they want you to be beholden to the government for everything. As long as they can take it away from all those evil rich people and then redistribute it. But let's get back to Elizabeth Warren explaining their scheme and again talking about how they're going to go after unrealized profits. You know, the, the provisions that the White House has put forward give a long period for smoothing this out. They don't just say you have to pay every penny right at the end of the year. They've actually worked out an account for volatility. Oh, oh, so they're going to probably do it quarterly. So that now at the end of the quarter, if I lost value, are you going to refund me? Is that going to happen? No, they don't think about it. You don't get to take... Uh, the loss. They only want the money because they call it ill-gotten gains. What this is really about is whether or not people who are making their income by the appreciation of stocks or other investments should have to pay something 
to make this country run. Yeah, they do. After you sell it. But she wants a tax. She and and Biden and Pelosi, they want a tax on money and an income that has yet to be earned. And as Joe Biden would say, that's not right. That's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair and it's not right. But they're going to try it. Trust me. And they're going to try and ram it through before the end of this year because it does look like the Democrats are going to take a big hit in the midterms, a huge hit in the midterms. And they might not have control of the Senate or the House. And that's going to be a big stinking deal. This idea to tax unrealized wealth is so anti-capitalist, I don't even know how to explain it. It's nothing other than an envy tax. All right, let's pivot over to uh, Joe and yesterday's kind of an emergency press event. Joe Biden was put out in front of the media and he had a um, he had a cheat sheet with him to answer some questions from reporters. And he also called on reporters curiously in the order of which the cheat sheet had the answers written. It's almost as if he knew the questions that. The reporters were going to ask, and he had the answers already pre-written. Hmm. What triggered all of this? Uh, the last weekend triggered this when Joe Biden was out there speechifying in Europe, and he said things to our troops like, well, you're going to see the problem in Ukraine with your own eyes. That kind of telling us he's going to be sending soldiers into Ukraine? That's a problem. And then he talked about Vladimir Putin being a butcher. And he also had that moment where he called for regime change, but he says he didn't. Here's that moment that happened at the end of the big speech in Warsaw. We will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principle, hope and light, of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. See, that last part, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power, That wasn't in the speech. That was Joe Freelancing. And that triggered outrage all around the globe. People are wondering, what in the wide world of sports is he talking about? So they had this press conference yesterday. And uh, they had uh, Nora O'Donnell from NBC, formerly of CBS, Nora O'Donnell up there. She got called on first. And as I said, curiously, her question was like the first answer joe had on his little cheat sheet in front of him there we know because a photographer took pictures of it from the side brilliant move sir here's that interaction with Nora o'donnell do you believe what you said that putin can't remain in power because your government has been trying to walk that back did your words complicate matters i'm not walking anything back but i want to make it clear i wasn't then nor am i now articulating a policy change I was expressing the moral outrage that I feel, and I make no apologies for it. Uh, no apologies, even though you did, you did express a policy change, and you did talk about regime change by saying he can't remain in power. Absolutely solid. Eventually, Joe got down to Peter Ducey, couldn't avoid Peter Ducey, and they went back and forth a little bit. Are you worried that other leaders in the world are going to start to doubt that America is back? If some of these big things that you say on the world stage keep getting walked back. What's getting walked back? It made it sound like just in the last couple days, 
uh, it sounded like he told U.S. troops they were going to Ukraine. He did. It sounded like he said it was possible the U.S. would use a chemical weapon. And he it did. sounded like you were calling for regime change in Russia. And we know... None of the three occurred. None of the three occurred? None of the three. Only all of the three occurred. All of them. And today, or yesterday, Joe Biden tried to explain that uh, when it, what he's talking about with the troops... He was talking about when they were training in Poland. So now we now know, and this was secret information. Ted Cruz is all upset about this. We now know that American troops are training Ukrainian troops in Poland. That had not been known prior to that. So Joe leaked. He leaked again. Pretty sure it's not the only time he's leaking during the day as he's wandering on the White House. You watch him walk funny. I know that. It was maddening. Very maddening. And yet here we are. Here we are. Hopefully there will be some progress with the peace talks today in Turkey with uh, the Ukrainians sitting down with the Russians. Although there was a report that some of the Russian peacekeeping talk, the negotiators, some of the negotiators got poisoned during the last session. That's kind of been debunked, but we don't know. We don't know for sure. Let's hope for peace. Pray for peace every single day. This guy, Biden, is uh, dangerous. Now, both sides are talking about a 25th Amendment. But, you know, a 25th Amendment, throw him out or he steps down. Then we have Kamala Harris. And what a nightmare that would be. Yikes. All right, let's pivot. Let's pivot and get into some of the uh, crazy world of the law and legal questions. Our friend Wendy Patrick is waiting in the wings. We'll get Wendy in here next on the Pure Opelka podcast. I almost don't know where to begin. I should have a wheel on it that I spin and wherever it lands on all the various legal questions I have for our friend, Wendy Patrick, attorney, author, public speaker, writer with great stories in psychology today, etc. I, I, I just don't know where to begin. Maybe I'll, I'll flip a coin on my list or drop a pen on my list. But let's get Wendy in here. Hello, Wendy. How are you? No, I'm great. It's always a pleasure to join you, Mike. Well, I'm glad you're here, but I'm envious of you because uh, the western part of our country is a lot warmer than the eastern part of the country. And so I have a little temperature envy, but that's just me. (laughs) No, you're right, Mike, but you're in a jurisdiction where it literally changes sometimes 10, 20 degrees day by day. So you're right. I certainly don't envy you. You can't plan ahead. No, I can't. And I'm pretty much incapable of doing that anyway because I'm a man. You know, we don't do planning Perfect. very well. Uh, Wendy. Works out well. I have a, a um, I guess in the restaurant business, they would call it a mixed grill of topics in the legal world that I would like to <laughs> approach with you. Um, let's, let's start with this one because it's kind of crazy. I want to ask your opinion on a, um, on a, a, a wanted person. And uh, it's someone wanted for burglary. And I started reading this story and I said, this can't be real. So uh, I'll just give you the first sentence in the story. A woman who had five pit bull puppies cloned in South Korea is wanted in Tennessee on burglary charges, lawyers there said today. Now, that sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? It sounds really bad. And I think you had me at the word cloned. Were it not for that word. And I mean, gosh, think about what that defines. Puppies. <laughs> Anytime you're talking about doing anything to puppies right away, everyone gets defensive. 
So, yeah. so far, so bad, Mike. Well, it's we a have a bad story wherever it goes from here. Yeah, we have a pit, five pit bull puppies that she had cloned in South Korea, and that's not a cheap process, number one. And people get people either love pit bulls or they they don't know what to do with pit bulls because they get all the media representations of the viciousness. And I have friends who have the nicest pit bulls in the world. So here's the next sentence after that: Joyce McKinney, fifty eight. So that's the the uh, the wanted woman suspect. Yes, yes. Thank you for the correct parlance. Uh, Joyce McKinney, fifty eight, was accused of telling a fifteen year old boy to burgle a house to raise money to buy a false leg for a horse. Now, okay. <sighs> you're thinking this is a joke, right? You think it's a Babylon Bee. Yeah, I would. I would think this cannot be true. It's just too out there. It's so far out there. First of all, she's now, she's a 58-year-old lady who's trying to convince a 15-year-old kid to break into a house to rob it so they could raise some money so she could buy a fake leg a prosthetic leg for a horse and i've never seen a prosthetic leg on a horse forgive me all you horse lovers out there but that made me think this can't be real and yeah and, it's, it's sounding pretty pretty crazy but well, i think you've got some more for me yeah there's one more sentence here because <laughs> this woman has a history of bad behavior and i think it's fair to call this bad behavior uh, Ms. McKinney uh, fled to Britain in 1977 to avoid trial for allegedly abducting a Mormon missionary and making him her sex slave. So, oh, some some 40 plus years ago, she was a wanted person for her wanton lifestyle and and making a Mormon missionary into a sex slave. Apparently, she came back to this country. I want to know why she wasn't arrested upon return. Maybe the statute of limitations uh, had exhausted yeah. on that crime. No, no doubt. The statute of limitations is something that's been updated over the years. And uh, But I wouldn't even get that far. This sounds like, and I know you've looked at it, and it apparently is legit, but this sounds like something you would read on the cover of one of those um, magazines when you're checking out of the grocery store, you know, I don't want to name any names, but you know, there are magazines that always talk about UFOs and aliens and women cloning puppies and buying prosthetics for horses. And I, I just don't know where to go with this. Where did you find this headline? I can't even begin you to You always find it. the I, best stuff. I can't reveal all my sources, Wendy. But nor I, should you. Nor, nor should you. Thank this you. is a good one. Thank you. I think this needs to be the pitch for a series, a crime series. So I'm just going to leave it at that. So Joyce McKinney, we would like to talk to you. We would, we would like to interview you. Jeez. Google she, her. Google her, everybody. Yeah, Let's see if this is true. Apparently, and I looked at a couple of different articles. Apparently, it is true. Um, now, yeah. I don't. I know also true is a um, is a story that popped last Friday, and almost nobody in the mainstream media is talking about it. But I think this is something that needs to be asked. Wendy, uh, Donald Trump, former President Trump, filed a lawsuit on Friday or Thursday, late Thursday or late Friday. That essentially sues pretty much everybody who was against him. It's Hillary Clinton. It's Perkins Coie, the law firm. It's uh, everybody. There's a whole bunch of people he's suing for the for the uh, Russia collusion. And he did it under like a racketeering 
uh, uh, angle. So I'm wondering, do, do you think that based on this lawsuit, is he just doing this to bleed them with discovery that they all have to get lawyers and try and answer the suit? Or is there any reality in this, in your opinion? You know, one thing that stood out to me, because I, I have been following this story, is that he's not suing regarding anything about the most recent election. It's the first election. So we're going all the way back to 2016, which caught my attention. What I think could have merit is damage to his business. Because remember, in this 108-page lawsuit filed, of course, in Florida, um, he's seeking compensatory damages. But if you look at why, he's talking about the loss of existing and future business opportunities. So he's basically stating that what was said about him, which he's claiming is false, remember, truth is a defense, but really jeopardized him, not just politically, but also professionally. And I mean, Donald Trump, he's no stranger to litigation. He's sued and he's been sued, I mean, his entire life. So it doesn't phase him to do this. But I think there might be some merit to this business angle, which is very different than what a lot of people, a lot of famous politicians do for. So I, for one, I know it, it's like below the fold, you know, this kind of has been flying under the radar, but um, let's see where this one goes. I have a feeling you and I are going to be talking about it again. Yeah, I, I do, too. Uh, former federal prosecutor and uh, a member of the Trump administration, Cash Patel, actually was speaking with Charlie Kirk about this. I heard an interview between the two of them. And Cash, who I know a little bit, said that he thinks this is the strongest lawsuit Trump has ever filed. And he should know because he's been around when the former president filed a bunch of suits after the election in 2020. Mm. And now here's my here's my follow up question, Wendy. If Donald Trump is successful in this in any way, shape or form on the Russia collusion story, and that relates back to the 2016 election, can he look at that process and maybe consider the 2020 election and look at anyone who covered up the Hunter Biden laptop story because that is now shown to be credible. The New York Times has said so. And the attempted and actually successful cover-up may have prevented the truth from getting out there. And as you said, the truth, the ultimate defense. Yeah. You know, they did a poll uh, of people that voted for Joe Biden, and they asked them how many of you would have changed your vote had you known about the now-recognized authenticity of the Hunter Biden laptop story. And as significant, you know, the word significant is a, a term of art. Uh, it means, you know, a, a, enough to be newsworthy and noteworthy, but they would have changed their vote. But probably it's impossible to guess how many really would have. And then again, how many that really would have changed their vote would have made it a difference. That's the problem with after the fact speculation as to what would and wouldn't have changed the results of an election. So I don't know that that has legs, but, you know, remember that, Donald Trump was a businessman before. And the reason that this, you know, I don't know whether I would say it's the absolute strongest lawsuit I've ever read, but, you know, I mean, that source knows more than I do. So maybe he has more credibility there. Um, But I would say that anytime you have a business person, especially somebody as well known as former President Trump, claiming that defamatory allegations cost him business, you know, everybody has to perk up at that and wonder whether that's true. And, it, you know, it's more than just this Russian collusion. Remember how much bad press he was getting about, gosh, he doesn't pay his bills and he does this and he does that. I mean, it never ended. They pile.
piled on for all four years of his presidency. I guess that's kind of what you get when you're president or when you're in politics to begin with. So anytime you're going to sue and try to say you can prove that that false, that that uh, adversely impacted your business, that probably does have legs. Whether you can go back and claim that it changed the election, that probably is not a, that's, that's probably a non-starter. So we're going to keep an eye on that one, too, because I think those could be uh, one domino hitting another, should he be successful in the first one. Uh, Wendy, you and I have talked uh, on several occasions about some of the great articles you've written for Psychology Today, and I have a possible one for you, but I want to give you the, the, the question around it. There, there was a story published in The Sun that the New York Post picked up as well, and the headline reads, Scientists Reveal... New, quote, most dangerous personality type. And this is a trait they have dubbed the dark empathy. And the scientists say it exists, but now they're asking the question, do you possess this? The people who have that dark empathy boast a dark personality trait like narcissism who can still retain higher levels of cognitive and effective empathy. It, it sounds like everybody in Washington, D.C., everyone who's been elected to federal office probably has this. Um, do you think when something like this is brought about and they talk about dark empathy, are companies going to be able to like test for this and exclude people in job interviews based on dark empathy? This feels like some kind of futuristic movie. <laughs> Thank you for sending me the the article. I actually will be following up with my uh, with a Psychology Today article. Mike, you have no idea how many of my articles you've either inspired or directly contributed to by letting me use your photographs. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, this one, I thought was particularly interesting because you can't test for some of this. You know, um, psychopathy and narcissism; these are clinical diagnoses that you know are not run of the mill. M- many people have uh, traits that are consistent with those those mental uh, disorders and mental states. So too here, and I love the article, talks about dark empaths. Got to like that. Talk about it like a juxtaposition of interesting terminology. Counterintuitive for sure. But, you know, you'd probably exclude somebody from working for you because they either couldn't work well with others, they gave a bad interview, they didn't seem like they would play well on a team. You wouldn't be able to diagnose something like this. And then, of course, you know, you can't discriminate based on medical conditions, psychological conditions. But here's the, the kicker. Here's why I like your question. How do you prove why you didn't hire somebody? Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't hire them because you know, you got a bad vibe from them. They didn't answer the questions. They didn't. You didn't see that they would fit within your culture. I mean, as long as you're not discriminating based on any of the protected characteristics, you don't have to hire anybody. Every single person that applies for a job. So I read this with much interest because it might be harder to gauge somebody with this constellation of personality traits than it would for somebody that clearly falls into one of those diagnosable categories. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this, and I have to tweet a link to the story so people can see it, and then when you write yours, we will, we'll put out a link to that as well. I just think, you know, if I'm getting ready to hire somebody and their past employer or past supervisor writes and says, well, you know, they're very Machiavellian. I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> I'm going to pass on this one. I, I <laughs> what's next? Uh, his idol is Marat Saad. No, we're not going to go there in this in this employment situation. 
I can't wait, Wendy. Yeah. I, I hope to see this. Uh, Wendy Patrick is our friend's name. She is the best, helps me make heads and tails out of crazy legal stories and tolerates a lot of my nonsense. You can find Wendy uh, on Twitter, and I really suggest you follow Wendy on Twitter. It's great stuff because you see every place Wendy is on TV as well. And uh, then the Psychology Today stuff will pop up there, too. Or you can go to wendypatrickphd.com. My friend, thank you so, so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. 